Computer Wars Part 2, Corporate Espionage Edition. This time, it's fucking stupid. Victory's new massive tap room. Philly's about to get a little less shitty. Do you love paper straws? Probably not. Well, wait for a paper beer bottle. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. You want to know what that strange flavor is? Well, it's probably all the craft beer news you can handle. Or maybe it's diacetyl. It could be either one. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. How you doing today, Tyler? Oh, pretty good. You need to step up the headline. I didn't get it near <laughs> as good of a chuckle as normal. So, Okay, I'll work on that. What are we drinking today? Uh, so you provided us with a little bit of New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger special release of their Atomic Pumpkin. It does seem to be... You know what? I actually went to the store looking for pumpkin beers because it is now late October. Uh, it should The pumpkin beer should be out in force. People aren't a fan anymore, but I still am. Uh, the like the craft beer store nearest my house. This was the only pumpkin beer they had. Really? I was now. I was a little bit. I was. Having, you couldn't find the Elysian like party I could pack. Not, I could not find a single Elysian. I was like, I was a little bit distraught. I don't really like Elysian, you know, AB and Bev, all that. But I will get their pumpkin beers, and but, they're basically like. Them, Dogfish Head, and this new Belgian beer is like, all the other breweries were like, yeah, you're relegated to this. We're not going to touch it. That's your thing. No Elysian. Uh, no Wasatch. They do a pumpkin beer every year. Uh, no Epic. The, none of them. This was the only one there was. So I guess this style's officially dead, which is why, if you look over to the left, I have five gallons fermenting in that little glass, uh, little glass container right there. I'm going to go shit in it. That is, why would you do that to beer, Tyler? Get the hell off this podcast. I'm going to get somebody who doesn't abuse beer like this. First of all, a uh, little side note before we talk about this beer a little bit. I just really have a problem with how New Belgium's rebranded themselves as it's Voodoo Ranger everything. I'm like, get the fuck over Voodoo Ranger. <laughs> I, I was a fan when they did, you know, their Ranger, their Rampant. They had all the different names. Now everything gets just Voodoo Ranger this. Voodoo Ranger with this. But it's got a kick-ass, like, skull guy on all of them. And I think that's what they're going for. And actually, funny you mentioned the label, because as I'm going through the checkout, and it's like a it's like a craft beer slash grocery store. It's the Boise Co-op. It's the nearest place to my house. Um, but as I'm going through the checkout, the uh, the woman checking me out kind of goes, oh, I love these guys. I don't really like beer, but I really like their labels. So there you go. You're wrong. <laughs> the marketing is on point, according to the woman who was nice enough to uh to uh, uh be cashier that day like it was a like does she, she buy it or just admire the label she just looks at the label apparently oh, she, so, she said she yeah. didn't like beer <laughs> but there you go she likes the brand um this particular beer of course is a uh, is a pumpkin spiced uh beer with habaneros and the habanero is prominent i didn't know what i was expecting but whoo it's a i almost need a beer with my beer yeah it, it's a little hot uh and almost before the heat kind of settles in it almost gives me kind of reminds me of like a gingerbread oh yeah okay yeah i do get the gingerbread but I, yeah you start out with that like doughy malt flavor, flavor. kind with of a little bit of cinnamon and kind of that little tinge and then the tinge turns to heat yeah and then the habanero steps up and says get the fuck out this is happening now and i love habanero's flavor oh i love yeah but but it doesn't love me back yeah I'm like, fuck, now I'm going to have heartburn, Jeremy. Heartburn, and depending on how much of this I drink tonight, it might be an adventure this evening. But uh, Maybe hey, Johnny Cash? 
I fell into a burning ring of fire. All right. Let's get into it. On that note, let's dive into the Beer Wars where it's a literal ring of fire. Uh, Yes. Well, so our first story is Beer Wars continues, although it's proving to be less of an actual war and more like a couple of rival frat houses toilet papering each other's uh, uh, frat houses and occasionally sneaking inside to perform an upper decker. No, that's way more... (laughs) Like cutthroat than what AB and Bev is doing. They're more like the family that's getting divorced and it's the two parents making snide car- comments in mediation. That is Beer Wars. <laughs> fair, fair. So if you've been listening to this podcast, you will know, and actually this came from episode one, we've been covering this, let's call it a hissy fit, This the, the entire existence of this podcast. Um, but started early this year uh, when AB InBev accused Miller Coors of adding corn syrup to their beer, which, of course, as we mentioned on that podcast, is stupid. Miller Coors sued. Uh, there has been a they had AB InBev had to pull back some of their advertising. There's been a lot of crying and pissing contests. Um, and then AB InBev went and violated copyright for Patagonia for some reason. It's been a whole thing. They're just on a hot streak. <laughs> But uh, there was a new development this week. So, AB InBev accused Miller Coors of stealing recipes. Um, and this story comes from Justin Kendall at Brewbound. Um, AB InBev this week filed a 66-page complaint with the U.S. District Court of of the Western District of of the sorry District of Western Wisconsin. I don't know why that was so hard to get out. Words. Uh, AB InBev alleged that uh, two former employees uh, stole recipes relating to its products, especially Bud Light and Michelob Ultra. Um, Adam Collins, uh, Millicore's VP of Communications, uh, responded with a, uh, I thought was a nicely poignant. Oh, it was the ultimate fuck you right back. Um, he said, uh, and I quote, well, I, I feel like this quote should have started off with, for the love of God, <clears throat> listen. Suck these nuts. Millicore's respects confidential information and takes uh, these allegations very seriously. But if the ingredients are a secret, why do they spend tens of millions of dollars telling the entire world what's in Bud Light? Did you see the last part of his statement? No, I didn't. You And then goes, and why are the ingredients printed on Bud Light's packaging in giant letters? <laughs> Boom. No, uh, I saw uh, CNBC had an article about this as well, um, and AB InBev was alleging that the recipes, uh, so apparently Miller Coors had allegedly produced documents showing the recipes for Bud Light and Michelob Ultra um, as part of this case, uh, and AB InBev alleged that they these recipes were printouts of screenshots that were folded up, taken out of its brewery, and sent via text. Interesting. Um, And they called these recipes extraordinarily valuable, citing Bud Light's status as the best-selling beer in the United States and Michelob Ultra as the fastest-growing beer in the United States. And I'm like, God help us all. Both of them are accurate, and both of them are disturbing. Um, And disappointing. So, but... As I looked into this, though, I, I I think I understand where AB where AB's coming from because there is some really interesting stuff. Um, I don't think any of it's been published, but I've actually got a guy uh, in both Miller Coors and AB InBev who uh, who sent me some of the stuff that actually got leaked out, 
And so, I mean, some of this stuff is pretty uh, interesting. For example, for Bud Light, um, this uh, is an important part of their uh, their process. <clears throat> it says, um, only af after you have force-fed the Clydesdales, nothing but asparagus and Brussels sprouts for 72 hours, is the animal fit to be brought to the top of the vat to add that signature Bud Light flavor. <laughs> While it's necessary to humiliate the horse with verbal abuse and obscene gestures, to get that unique hint of shame and hopelessness that our customers expect with every batch, it's important not to look di <laughs> look directly at the horse as they do get pee shy. <laughs> so that's for Bud Light. Um, and this was interesting, too. So um, this was actually for Bud Light Orange, a special part of their process. Um, paying hobos to dumpster dive for rotting oranges uh, in exchange for Benadryl provides the added bonus of being able to locate the Benadryl-addled bum later and then collect his vomit to add to the beer. So were they paying the bum in Benadryl? Yes. Okay. I mean, according to these documents that, uh, that uh, I've in no way fabricated. Um, <laughs> oh, slander lawsuit, here we come. This provided, of course, that the tracker is put in said vagrant. Um, it is company policy, however, to not apply exactly where you should implant this device, but given AB's uh, uh, track record of, uh, of, of cruel and dehumanizing practices, I think you know exactly where you should shove it. Um, and this is just a general SOP. I found this interesting. Um, after marketing meet meetings, health and safety regulations involve cleaning up all the eldritch ingredients used to summon the Dark Lord. Uh, keep in mind that any rags used to mop up chicken blood or bull semen should be saved as they can be added to Bud Light Platinum in, in order to offset their more expensive ingredients. And the entire process for Michelob Ultra... I thought that's how they filtered the beer. <laughs> that is. Well, oh, that okay. and the Beechwood. And... Uh, just the, they actually published the entire uh, process for making Michelob Ultra, um, and it, it's right here. It ba basically just says, uh, quote, How much longer do you think we can bottle St. Louis's storm drain runoff before people notice? <laughs> so, I know, I think that was, so obviously there's more to Bud Light and, uh, their, and to all of AB's products than we had hitherto uh Hitherto assumed. So, yeah, all this, like, the practices uh, uh, getting out uh, could be, I think, could be damaging a little bit. Oh. <laughs> At first, I was like, holy shit, you actually know someone that works there? And then I heard you start, and I was like, no. <laughs> no. But, I mean, here's the thing. If if I, about the, uh, this is just my entire impression about Beer Wars up to this point. If I had been watching, like, two humans, like, two actual people... Like behave the way that Miller Coors and uh, and AB InBev have been behaving the past year. I think at this point in time, I'd grab them both by the throat and just scream, "Please fuck already! You clearly want to. You both are just you're both just so horny and filled with self hatred. Just get over it. One of you strap the other to the bed and hate fuck the shit out of them so you can come to your goddamn senses." And stop embarrassing yourselves. You are behaving like twat waffles, so one of you bend the other over the couch and, and make them call you daddy if that's what needs to happen. Break out the gimp suit, the whips, and the bacon grease. <laughs> Thing is, they tried, but they can't. Because when AB InBev bought Miller Coors, they had to sell off Miller Coors in the States. And, well, this is, and I, and that's kind of where I came to, the, came to this, because I started realizing that. That's where it's stemming from. I think that I think AB InBev is a little bit pissed. They got cock blocked. Yeah, and but the thing is, they know 
Sab Miller's recipes because they fucking own them. But yeah, but they don't. But vice versa is not true. No, I mean but, they know now. I just given. Yeah. I just. I, I just gave. I mean, if Miller Coors is listening, that they they have them now. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's stupid in my perspective because you're trying to sabotage a company that you still own a piece of. Why, yes, you don't get any of the revenue from the U.S. market from it. The global market, you do. But there also seems to be an element less of... It's more like just point scoring. It's just... It is just self-contained, you know... It's fencing. Amer- America point scoring. Just... It's it's almost politics, but in beer. Like, divide and conquer. Make sure that, you're, that you, your loyal followers dislike Miller and vice versa. I'm not sure what the what the point is. Is that that could be it? Um, but I I don't know. It could just be yeah. I think maybe AB InBev is just kind of pissed off about being cock blocked, and I think I think what we have to tell AB InBev is that it wouldn't have worked. I mean, not only would have acquiring Miller Coors be be like legally and problematically compromising, but uh, you, you come from different worlds. Um, Anheuser-Busch, you are that prissy southern bitch that was raised by a rich asshole that really truly wanted a son. And here you are at the height of your industry and there's, you know, and and you've gotten to the top of where you're supposed to be and nothing is good enough for that old miserable bastard. And you're in this loveless marriage with InBev and sure in public you're this power couple. That was an arranged marriage, (laughs) let's be honest. In public you're this power couple, but I mean, we all know you don't actually sleep in the same bed anymore. And then there's Miller Coors, that bad boy who plays by his own rules. And, you know, you you, you lay in bed at night and fantasize him, fantasizing him about coming in his, his motorcycle and whisking you away and having his way with you. And for once, just once, you could lose yourself and let yourself be completely and utterly vulnerable, maybe for the first time ever. But you know it can't work. And, I mean, just imagine, just imagine first of all, you're a control freak. Imagine the first time that Miller Coors left dishes in the sink. What a shit show that would be. Or the first time that he forgot to do laundry. I mean, there's going to be a screaming match. And for the love of God, you're both adopted parents now. What are you going to do when AB InBev kicks you out of the Belgian apartment? Go move into Miller Coors' little little space in uh, Milwaukee? Son of a bitch. Or Golden. Yeah. Hey, what what the fuck? I mean, are you going to make a, uh, are you going to make Elysian share a room with St. Archer? And what about Hop Valley and Ten Barrel? I mean, all right, this is what's going to happen. Those two are going to get, like, into this weird, like, quasi-incestuous relationship just to punish you. And don't even get me started about Golden Road. That psycho bitch needs rules and, like, guidance. You know, and if she's neglected, then she's probably going to just set fire to Terrapin's hair. So, I mean, for the love of God, think of the children. Oh, my God. So, you know, AB InBev, stop lashing out. I know you're angry. I know you're hurting. But, girl, this has got to stop. You are embarrassing yourself, and you're better than that. You're a strong, independent... Well, actually, you're a a, a wholly-owned multinational corporation. But still, the point is... I think if we work with the federal government, we could, like, work out a weekend thing where you can do just can, like, meet up in a hotel room for, like, a weekend, like, a weekend pass thing. Maybe you could, like, brew a beer with corn syrup or something, but uh, that's all it's going to be because Miller Coors isn't the answer, AB InBev. It never was. 
Just so everyone knows, I had no idea what was coming down the pipe. Jeremy just said he wanted to talk about this, and I was like, oh, I picked that too. Let's talk about this. And then he wrote a full romance novel slash soap opera of these two and fully went into depth of building characters. So here's what happened. So when I travel, I sometimes have trouble sleeping in a hotel room. So this was all cobbled together at like 2 a.m. In Pocatello. <laughs> Mostly just to see how Tyler would react. And he, re- and he reacted exactly the way I thought he would, which is like, Jesus Christ, Jeremy. You need Jesus. <laughs> anyway, that's my take on Beer Wars. <laughs> Tyler, what's next? I got nothing. <laughs> well, next, I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Uh, uh, kind of possibility for a package change that I don't know how I feel about. So I don't know if everyone listening, where they're at, whether they... Do the paper straws or not? A lot of places here locally in the Treasure Valley started moving away from the plastic straws to the paper straws or just no straws at all. Well, Carlsberg right now is working on the first paper beer bottle. Now, just I've only seen Carlsberg in cans. Am I right about that? I think here in the U.S. markets, I've only ever seen them in cans. Uh, but yeah, they probably okay. But possibly in bottles. But okay, paper bottles. This seems this seems problematic. Yep. Uh, the beer bottle is both 100% bio-based and fully recyclable. A green fiber bottle research prototype that they made from sustainably sourced wood fiber that has an inner barrier to allow the bottles to contain beer. Uh, one of the prototypes uses a thin recycled PET polymer film barrier. And the other, a 100% bio-based PEF polymer film barrier. Carlsberg's whole goal right now is a focus on sustainable packaging and actually reducing their carbon footprint by 30% in the by the year 2030. I mean, not to... That sounds like an honorable goal, and I am, I am behind that, but I feel like we covered a few months back... I'd have to go and look at our episode list, but we, we covered that they realized that they were making objectively shitty beer, and I thought their focus was they were going to make less shitty or maybe even, dare I say it, good beer. So have they given up on that, and we're just going to put it in paper now? I think they've kind of given up on that and said, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. A lot of the craft beer people like to live green. Let's focus on making our products green. They're getting rid of the six-pack holder, trying to glue six-packs together. They're using a greener ink. They're, there's a whole list in this article going on about the steps that they're trying to make to be more sustainable. I'm like, that's awesome. Love seeing the environment help. I'd never drink out of a fucking straw anyways. So, <laughs> Well, I yeah, I think that's a good thing. I Clearly, glass bottles are pro- problematic on several different, for, on several different levels. Um cans i have a hard time seeing like something like this the issue with the can yeah is ever usurping cans because cans are pretty pretty green by themselves cans are almost nearly recyclable usually the labels what's not recyclable right Um, where the can itself can be melted down repackaged into another can Unless they're unless they're trying to compete now, unless they've completely given up and they're competing with like the plastic bottles of like colt something or other i i I have no idea but 
what also made me thinking as I was driving over here, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, cans just as recyclable. And then also, why don't they take like a double mountain approach? The- For those of you not familiar, double mountain brewery, uh, I think the co-op occasionally sends bottles back to them but reuses a lot of their bottles correct they have a program where you can return their bottles to them and then they or clean to them. a whole a retailer of theirs who will send it back to them and then they refill they clean them refill them i i assume they clean them double mountain i hope you're cleaning the bottles and then refilling clean them. them take the label off relabel and then sending them back out so they essentially doing what home brewers have been doing for eons it, which is, no, 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 give me that bottle back. I want that bottle back. Give me that mm-hmm. bottle back so I can put more beer in it because there's nothing quite as tenacious and strange as a home brewer fighting for his old bottles. Yep. It really is. <laughs> if you're not if you're not in the home brew scene, uh, go ahead. Go find the, your, your, your friend that brews his own beer and try to take his empty bottle. I dare you. You will lose that hand. But that's the thing is if you are using the glass bottle – you can recycle it or you can reuse it and reusing it for one pending that you know you're gonna lose some bottles through the process of dings dents cracks breaks but it's cutting your cost on future batches that are going out Mm -hmm. you just have to reapply the new label and it's but is like a program like that, is that even feasible for a brewery the size of Carlsberg? Because let's not forget Carlsberg, as shitty as they are, still distribute to a much wider area than a Double Mountain does. Sure. I mean, they do distribute internationally. And at that point in time, I think carting bottles back and forth across the Atlantic isn't going to be worth it. Not only is it going to be worth it, but it's probably going to be detrimental if, you're, if your goal is to try to be sustainable. But you could... And I was, I thought of that. I was like, I don't think that's quite economical or sustainable. But something locally over where they are based out of trying to implement something like that, I feel would be a better use of resources than trying to have a firm create a fucking paper beer bottle. I'm still, I'm kind of, I, I am, well, I want to follow up on this because I feel like at some point in time, if there is a new packaging. This could that might be the only thing that could could usurp the uh, the aluminum can, um, and you're showing me a picture of it. And if I and the bottle looks kind of cool. If I and if I remember correctly, I'll put this up on Twitter. Um, and we're and we all know I'm classically bad at that. But I mean, yeah, it looks like it looks like a little green milk bottle. I want to say green milk bottle. It has a green cap and a green label. That's green now, isn't? It? I mean, okay, green. It looks like a milk bottle with a green label and a green cap. It's like think like milk carton tan bottle although with I al- the green label although i guess i also have to notice that it is completely opaque and so then you're getting rid of the light struck quality so uh-huh that's one it less almost thing- kind of reminds me of like have you seen like those maple syrup containers that aren't clear yes it's that color with the carlsberg label and cap on it yes that that is what it looks like again i'll i'll try to remember to put this up on twitter so Fuck, you can- maybe corona should do this and their beer won't taste so bad uh i mean that's only one of the problematic things about corona all right victory brewing news now um this week victory brewing out of pennsylvania announced the opening of their new state-of-the-art production uh facility right in the heart of downtown philly um this uh this new location is supposed to be fourteen thousand square feet not not 1400 
14,000 square feet. I mean, I guess that's not too terribly huge. I mean, it is going to be a brewing facility. This is like right in the heart of the uh, of downtown Philly. Um, it's supposed to have a it's supposed to have a, a one a 50 barrel brewery like the uh, like their main production facility. Um, a scratch kitchen, three separate bars, an outdoor porch, and a ro- and rooftop seating. Um, so is that square footage including like patios and that? Or? It didn't say. I was okay. just what uh, that's just what the uh, the article out of uh, 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 Beer Street Journal said. So I'm go- we can assume that it includes the uh, the porch, but still, I want to say, damn. But then looking like the brewery I work for, our production facility and tap room is three thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, it's a little over four, t- a little under five times bigger. Our system is a 15 to a 50. So I'm like, those tanks take up fucking a lot of space. So oh, I feel like I feel like it's worth at this point in time to take a minute and talk about Victory Brewing. Um, they have been on my radar most of the time I've been in craft beer. They are available in 33 states, including a sometimes Idaho actually. So We've, do they still distribute out here? Or? I think they're with one of the distributors that will remain nameless that is classically shitty about picking up breweries and forgetting they exist. They push them and then stop pushing them and then three years later well, start pushing them again. And Not only uh, not so much that, it's that they, they are basically a... They are a company... If they were a company, they are a child and craft beer is a set of keys dangling over their face. So whatever the shiniest bit is the thing it's paying attention to. And, you know, they have they bring in victory for a little while, and then they forget about it. Um, a quick look around. I didn't see victory available, but I think it's still technically... I was going to say, I haven't seen it on market shelves in two years. So it's ostensibly... But it's... but it's I've seen it around, uh, when I, especially when I was traveling a lot... Um, I would see it in tap rooms all over the country, and it was actually one of those. Ooh, I, you know, it's Victory Brewing. I know that they're pretty good. Yeah, their Prima Pills was solid. Their was it Alpha Wolf Double IPA or Dirt Wolf? Dirt Wolf. I, th- I feel like they also had an Alpha Wolf though. You're right. But the Dirt Wolf, delicious. Their Golden Monkey and Sour Monkey, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Victory is actually a, kind of one of those second generation craft breweries. It was started by a couple of guys. Um, Ron Barchet and uh, Bill Kowaliski. Um, it's kind of a sweet story. They were childhood friends that ended up on opposite sides of the country as adults. Uh, one got into homebrewing, and he, he gave the his other friend a uh, homebrew kit, and they started kind of one-upping each other um, uh, in competitions and what have you. Nice. Um, they both eventually got disenchanted with corporate with uh, corporate uh, their corporate jobs, which I have to ask. Shocking. Is there any force in the world that has driven more people into the loving arms of craft beer than corporate America? I, I think at least about 60% of all the people I've met in craft beer worked in some hellish corporate job and left to just go sell slash make slash pour slash, I don't know, just bathe in beer. Yeah, no, I, I'd i say it's probably closer to 80%. Um, I mean, me, myself, personally, I didn't run from corporate America. I was in craft beer before, and I kind of dipped my toe in corporate America and then immediately ran back out because that shit is cold. I mean, what are we defining corporate America as? Um, I think one of them was like a like a, a financial analyst. One was a business manager. 
interchangeable terms, but I mean, they held corporate jobs. They worked for a corporation in an office, except like a publicly traded company. Yes. Okay. Then yeah. I think one of the things that people get so upset about AB InBev about, or at least one of the, one of the many things I get, is that they don't want to see craft beer just become just another corporate hell, because there are so many renegades from that. So, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, anyway, uh, Barche quit his job and uh, took an apprenticeship at the now defunct Baltimore Brewing Company, and after some training, he went to actually went to Munich uh, to study at Weistefan. Oh damn! Uh, while Kalinsky. Uh, took over his uh, internship at Baltimore. Um, after Munich, Barche uh, became the head brewer at uh, Old Dominion, which is still around under a different name, but it's like it was like one of the first major East Coast breweries. Um, he worked there, for a, worked there for a little while as their brewer, and then in 1996, uh, they got together and they officially opened Victory Brewing um, out in uh, uh, Downington, Pennsylvania. Kind of... Uh, I was four years old. <laughs> Fuck you. I was, like, older than that. We don't have to discuss how old I was. I think Sakai was founded in, here locally, was founded in 96 as well. Sounds right? about right, yeah. Yeah, or like, right around there. And, the, and that was kind of like second generation. I mean, and the, the the cool thing about this story is was was they did, like, get a lot of their experience and a lot of their inspiration from, like, the, the groundbreakers on the East Coast, uh, Baltimore Brewing and um, Old Dominion. And... There was like there was a, a whole set of breweries that started in the '90s that basically built up from like the pioneers that began in the '80s who basically started the industry with little more than okay here's how you make beer sort of kind of there is no I, <laughs> there is really no concept of how to do it on a scale less than like the industrial scale of like Anheuser Busch. Yeah, I mean reading the Goose Island book, it talked about how they used to bottle using. Com- like an air compressor, right? Instead of CO two, so these... and they're like, oh wow, the beer's so much better using <laughs> CO two. <laughs> I mean, these guys are the benefactors of that kind of like now no shit information. Yeah. But to be fair, now you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a little point of clarification. Sockeye was founded in nineteen ninety six. So all right, so same year. So yeah, and just want to throw this little tidbit in. For the longest time when I first got into craft beer, I thought Victory was out of California. And then someone's like, yeah, it's from Pennsylvania. And I'm like, no shit. (laughs) You could have kept that hidden and just let let yourself stew in that secret shame for for the rest of your life. And no would have been the wiser, but... uh... And then I was like, oh yeah, well... It's decent beer, so... Um, I I gotta tell you, I'm not a priest. You don't have to confess to anything here. Drunk Tyler confess. Hashtag Drunk Tyler Confessions. No, this ain't Drunk Tyler Confessions. <laughs> anyway, they were influenced by their uh, uh, European experience, and so the first three beers they brewed were actually their Bandywine Lager, which is now called the Victory Lager. Okay. Uh, Victory Fest Beer, and the Hop Devil. Hop Devil, that was their single IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, they both thought uh, that Fest Beer was going to be the beer that was going to carry them, but it actually was Hop Devil. In fact... Um, Hop Devil made uh, Food and Wine magazine's uh, list last year of the uh, of the 25, 25 most important beers ever produced. Um, and that magazine did we talk about that list? Or? There's a there's a lot of lists of twenty five most important. No, I did Vine Pair. Okay, this was this was uh, Food and Wine's last year. Um, 
but um, they credit Hop Devil with like being the first IPA that like woke people up on the East Coast to what an IPA could be. Yeah. Um, in fact, provided a lot of inspiration for uh, Dogfish Head's 60-minute and 90-minute IPA. Nice. Um, they um, they have won uh, two GABF golds in their e- existence, uh, one for Fest Beer in 2007, and another for Golden Monkey, their Belgian Trapel. Or, yeah, that was in 2014. And, yes, they are... And, there's a couple of interesting things. First of all, I mean, Victory, they put it on all their packaging. Victory is one of the few breweries that actually uses whole leaf hops, which they do advertise, That, which I've never, in my brewing experience, I've never found a, yeah. So Tyler just did the the, the, the jerk off motion. They claim, <laughs> they claim the whole leaf hops help. I think pellet hops are equally good, if not better. It's... Six in one hand, half Pre- dozen in the other. Preach, man. Tyler. I feel, I feel like you have an opinion. Do you like <laughs> that? That was a, an aggressive motion you did. You're like, mm, go ahead, get it off your chest. This is hashtag drunk Tyler confessions now. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, whole leaves. You have a lot more waste with the beer compared to pellets because it takes a lot more whole leaf hops to make an ounce or a pound than a pellet. Right. Because pellets are condensed, smaller, more dense. So, I mean, it makes the same same bit of fucking difference. It's personal preference. Some people like shooting on an actual film camera compared to a di- digital camera. Because, in the words of Billy Walsh off Entourage, why fuck a chick with a vibrator when you got a cock? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like the, taking your personal philosophy from Entourage is probably problematic, but... but- Fair enough. <laughs> but it's it's kind of that nostalgia of brewing it old school. You're using the actual whole leaf hops. It looks cooler dumping in a 55-gallon trash can as a hop edition full of fucking whole leaf hops when it's probably like a 10-pound edition. Fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, uh, ambivalent when it comes to I, either. I've experimented with... I've actually made the same recipe with whole leaf hops and pellets, and I haven't really noticed an appreciable difference. Can't tell a difference, except the only thing I've ever been able was the final volume. Right. I mean, they will... So You have to adjust your volume because they will soak up a shit. And they're, and they're a pain in the ass because they will clog up a system if you're not prepared for it, but mm-hmm. I assume... They have got that pretty well under wraps if that's all they use. Uh, here's another interesting process they do. They also, so they import all their grain from Germany, but they also soften, what they call soften their grain. And what they do is they actually pull the barley husk off the kernel and then they crush just the kernel and mash it. Which, yeah, that's, I mean, my reaction is how in the fuck do you sparge? Now, if you're not familiar with the, with the, uh, uh, the, the process of brewing, you know, the short answer is you take your grain, you crush it, and you fill it with water so it starts changing the sugar. You drain that water and add more water to kind of rinse the sugars off. That's the quick and dirtiest way I can describe mashing and sparging. Point is, is the husks kind of act as like a natural filter. And to take those away seems to me you'd have a thick goddamn mash that would be impossible to separate out. And that just seems like an unnecessary step. I mean, I know craft breweries are kind of notorious for doing just things the hard way and not caring if it takes longer, like Oscar Blues with 1050. I think they do like a double mash on it. Right. 
uh, or something like that to get it up to that level, which now look at I'm like 10.5%. That's not that high of a level. Uh, <laughs> it used to be. But it used to be. And when they started doing it, I'm sure with the system they had, that's what they had to do. Now with the system, I'm sure it's just a nostalgia throwback that they do that. I mean, so. so, again, a lot of their inspiration comes from traditional brewing traditions, especially traditional German. I've never heard of that in German brewing traditions. I don't know where I mean, they got that. I think if they were decoction mashing. But... They actually do do that. They mentioned okay. they, they, they do uh, still do decoction mashing on their equipment, which is unusual for a brewery of their size. I, but... I think Sam Adams did that for a long time. They may still even do that on their Boston Lager. But it's such a tedious step, right? And throwing in whole leaves, um, and we probably should dis- that and a decoction mash. That is, and I should probably also quickly uh, uh, describe a decoction mash for again the people who are going for God's sakes, quit being such goddamn geeks. So the idea of a decoction mash is you have your a water and barley combination at a certain temperature. About Let's say one forty. Four to 150, somewhere in there. Now, you need to raise the temperature. Now, there are two ways of doing that. Usually, you do that by either having uh, either having the elements in your mash to actually raise the temperature or adding hot water to it, which raises the temperature. Or what the Germans started doing is they actually pulled the mash out of the mash tun, heated that up to boiling, and then added that back into the, back into the mash tun. And that's what a decoction is. It's a method of heating up your mash by actually boiling a portion of the mash and what it actually and what it does is it subjects the mash to uh, certain high temperatures caramelizes some of the sugars and actually extracts some flavors from grain that you can't get otherwise yeah and it, it'll caramelize some of the sugars um, looking at just pulled up the Oxford guide to craft beer and pulled up and it a little brief rundown the basic principle of decoction. Like Jeremy said, to remove it from the mash, boil it, return it to the main mash. Uh, There are two different aims in boiling one part of the mash. Uh, To use the physical pulping, which impacts the cell walls of the malt. And then, like Jeremy said, to raise the temperature of the bulk mash to a higher temperature after mixing both parts. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's a German tradition of, um, of making, especially like lagers, especially like your Vienna lagers or your box, Doppelbox, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a process they do. But yeah, there's this other thing called softening that they do as well. And they, and they say that it, the removing the husk removes some of the bitter tannins that you can get. Which, out of like the roasted barley in that or? No, just out of, out of husks. And I do know that uh, as a home brewer, you want to be careful when you're sparging, not um, over sparging, either over a over sparging and b sparging too hot. If you if you put too much, uh, if your if your mash gets too hot, you can start extracting those bitter flavors. But you, I feel like you still need the husks to uh, to to act as that natural filter. So I kind of want to see their setup th- that not only allows them to a remove the husk and b uh, brew beer without it. Well, that's like. I've heard of a couple of distilleries doing a hundred percent rye grain whiskey. So if you're not familiar, basically the process of brewing beer and distillation is the same up until where you basically send the beer to get boiled and add the hops. You send the whiskey over to get fermented. Correct. And yeah. rye is notorious for 
just becoming a goopy, sloppy it's mess. awful to work with. I've made a few rye beers. And and so you typically add like rice holes and different things like that to kind of solidify it a little bit so you can sparge and not have just a mess and not get any liquid out because it's all too goopy. Right. Well, I've heard of several distilleries that do 100% wa- rye mash and then ferment it and... So I'm like, how are you not getting a stuck mash? Oh god, that'd be awful. Not, I mean, it's a stuck sparge is bad enough, but now it's fermented, and it's a whole thing. But yeah, that's there's got I there's like a whole there's a whole episode right there that you, you that everybody can who's listening can wait for uh, uh, how to how to get a, a proper sparge. How to who's, unstick a fucking mash? <laughs> and everybody's going, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> but um, no, I just found that I found that interesting. They have a couple of interesting processes. They do do a um, a lot in the German tradition, a lot in the European tradition. You mentioned their sour, um, their sour monkey, the golden monkey. Um, they they do probably one of the best um, German style pilsners produced by a craft brewery in the United States. The Primo Pils. Um, it's won a couple of awards, and um, I guess what I'm saying is. To the distributor in town uh, that shall remain nameless, um, bring back Victory. <laughs> I was going to say, I really do enjoy Victories. I honestly think the biggest, at least looking at it from the local market, I don't know how they do on a national scale. The biggest detriment to them, besides being so far away, I mean, East Coast coming over to Idaho, you're definitely not local. Correct. You're the opposite of that. Yeah. The explosion of choices around it, yes. they got lost in no, no, no. It's the scuttle. It's easy. No, I, I, I don't blame them. This was, this was one of those, and I just, I had not thought about victory until I came across this article and started looking into victory. I'm like, oh, I remember them. They were tasty. They are tasty. And I'm like, oh, I kind of want to have a victory and, beer right now. And I'm, and I'm also convinced that the Kirsch Goza, the their cherry Goza. Oh, that was delicious. Was one of the first. Like reawaking of the Goza style, where it's pretty much dead in uh, lips. Uh, I think it's Lipsig, Germany, or yeah, somewhere in there. Somewhere. Uh, them in Anderson Valley, yeah, those were the first two Gozas I had ever seen. I and... tried to look up to see if if uh, if Anderson Valley or Victory or who like really awakened the Goza style. I couldn't find out. I'm gonna hedge my bets and say it's Anderson Valley, but Victory was there with theirs pretty quickly. I was gonna say and. Both of them are older breweries, so it... Right. So, I mean, it it could be a toss-up. So, I mean, I guess it's Thunderdome. I want a representative from Anderson Valley here. I want uh, a representative from Victory here. Um, Both bring your gozas, and we'll drink them while you fight to the death. Exactly. I got one question to ask you, though. Okay. Is it in West Philadelphia, born and raised? It is not. Um, therefore you can get nowhere near a Philly cheesesteak. It's like, it's No, a, no, I was going to say, on the playground where it's I know, I was going, <laughs> you know what, I was really, really trying to, like, not talk about that. I saw where you were going, and I was trying to steer that ship away from that iceberg. Oh, I, I, and I, I grabbed the wheel and cranked it right into the bird. And like the Titanic, it actually caused more damage trying to, like, steer away from the iceberg <laughs> than if I would have just hit it head on. God damn you, Tyler. Do you have anything else you want to say before you before you ruin this podcast completely? <laughs> I think I expanded it, but... Uh, <laughs> that's just my humble opinion. Uh, no, I think that kind of wraps it up. Uh, 
I know Jeremy and I have been talking. We're going to try to do have a couple of special guests coming up here in the yeah. next month or so. So keep an eye out for that. I um, want to give a special shout out to Stacy Connolly from uh, Boise Beer Buddies. Uh, a couple weeks back, she featured us in her uh, weekly newsletter. Um, Thank if you, you Stacy. If you are not a subscriber to her newsletter, you absolutely should be. And if you're not a member of Boise Beer Buddies, and you 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 absolutely should be. I mean, I think you're you're kind of a terrible person if you're not a member of Boise Beer Buddies. If you're listening to our voices and you're not uh, a, a member of Boise Beer Buddies and you live in Boise. If you don't live in Boise, it's... <laughs> if you don't live in... You know what? Even if you don't live in Boise, I feel like you should still be a member of Boise Beer Buddies. You don't get all the perks or, or any, any of, the, of perks. the perks. Hey, if you live near Revision, they are a buddy hub. <laughs> yes, they so, are. So, if you live in Sparks, Nevada... I guess what I'm saying is, if you're listening to this and you live in Philadelphia, you should all pour in money to Boise Beer Buddies. <laughs> and as always, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at It's All Beer. Uh, Facebook as well, and you can get a hold of us at Gmail, or on email at itsallbeer at gmail.com. It's been a long couple of days, and this beer is getting right on my boo-boo. I'm not going to lie to you. And as always... Drunk Jeremy Confessions. (laughs) It's more like tired and drunk Jeremy Confessions. Um, (laughs) And if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to today, I can't imagine why you would be enjoying yourself right now. But if you are, hey, you should leave us a rating, uh, and it should be five stars because if you made it this far, it, it's you. It, you can't hate it if you yeah. made it this far. If you if you've gotten this to this point in time and you haven't shut it off, then you are a masochist, and that's that's and Jeremy on, wants your number. I don't not want your number, but the point is that's on you. That's not on us. We still get five stars anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about all that we're going to be able to crank out today. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to get some sleep and have a beer. Have a beer.